Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What am I thinking? Because apparently this is giving uh, it me It might like... be. I don't have the actual, the 1962 test. Because a year later, that's when oh, we Starfish signed the... Oh, Starfish Prime is okay. what it was called. Yeah. So A year maybe... later, we signed the, uh, the limited... Uh, nuclear weapon yeah, testing. So in 1962, board. there was something called Starfish Prime. Yeah. I don't know. It's just the Wikipedia article. When I search for Project Starfish, it pulls some shit up from like Suicide Squad. Uh, intelligence so. officials <laughs> apparently you know are saying about. that Mr. Yeah. Putin might be betting that the threat of nuclear weapon explosion in space is different from the threat of the destruction of Los Angeles or London. I it mean, is different. Honestly, because if you wipe out 100%, London or Los you... Angeles you kind of be doing us a favor. Well, so we'll, we'll put it this way, right? If you were to launch a nuclear strike against any country that also has nuclear weapons, they're going to do something in return, which leads to the Cold War style, you know, this is what an interesting game. It seems the only way to win is not to play type bullshit where yeah. like even the UK has enough nuclear missiles to completely genocide the population of russia like yeah. all of them they have yeah. enough nukes to kill everyone in russia and it would be something too to say that oh well an emp could even take out nuclear silos which are almost but, absolutely emp well, protected to a certain degree maybe but i mean enough of an emp will start melting your faraday cage so who knows but uh the point would be that if you use nuclear weapon in space to knock out satellites via an emp what you haven't done is kill anyone. True. And you have a lot of angry people that can't browse Facebook or TikTok. No, they will be able to. The amount of information that comes over satellites is not that much. It is something to say that militarily, military-wise, like, it would be quite damaging. There's, so there's things like, you know, GPS. Yeah. Earth imaging satellites, with special, you know, specifically spy satellites are going to get destroyed. The Blue Forces tracker... Yeah. constellation which is very important yeah. to tactical operations will you know be affected gps probably even though it's in medium earth orbit not low earth orbit might probably still be affected but you're not going to like lose connectivity to servers unless those servers are not or unless those servers somehow get are in it, range it of is, the emp it is effects. a question though of how many modern day most of the internet, internet hubs are emp protected though most of the internet comes over a fiber connection which is not very susceptible to interference which is why like i was laughing at people freaking out about the houthis saying yeah. they're going to cut fiber cables like oh no i won't be able to talk to india one like that's gonna matter <laughs> <laughs> one the houthis have the capability of going that deep impressive uh, it's not that hard because all you have to do is find where the cable is and then drop an anchor. And you I mean, fucked that cable. What, maybe the cable is maybe a meter in diameter. That's pretty good accuracy for some bunch of raggle taggy. I can drop an anchor all day until I hit it. <laughs> like, that's you, why the Navy SEALs have to go like, sink more uh, the GPS. Ships. The GPS positions of those cables are very widely understood because of the fact that it, all it takes is I someone dropping to, an anchor on it to kill it. I want to have questions from those who have been silent this entire segment i had um, this thought running through my head while you guys were talking about this whole thing go ahead and i and you guys are gonna think i'm like some idiot or something 
but I immediately started like having a PTSD attack because of Modern Warfare 2. Oh, and that in that off. mission, whenever the EMP sets off in in oh, you're talking I think about medium that, orbit. Dude, when the when the nuke sets off in Modern Warfare the first one when you're in the back of the helicopter. Oh, like, all the radio the, cuts like, out. No, that yeah. was in Modern Warfare. You see, that's what I'm saying. That's Modern was Warfare that 2. Modern, 2? Yeah. Modern, so there was a there was a mission where uh yeah. the capital was invaded by Russians. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, when you're off, in when you're in the Middle East and yeah. you're in the back of the helicopter, no, we're talking about the second not, one. Yeah, but I'm talking about the first one. Okay. That, like that's, all the radios that, cut off. That's, that's as the a, second one. As a side tangent, I I've actually had um discussions. I am ham certified, but it does get me like a little GMRS certified. So I've actually had discussions with people. I just transmit, and when boomers get mad, I move locations. Yeah. I had discussions with the local GMRS group up here. That's a joke. I don't transmit. Don't come after me, FCC. FCC. I was about to say FAA. Um, I don't do it. I don't have a radio. I do. Um, no, except, I do. Have, I do occasionally pop on the GMRS network. Network. Except a K band capable satellite communications terminal. And talk to the. <laughs> and talk to the the people. And yeah, the, these people. You know, if you're in communications, that's definitely something that people are concerned about. Um, and one of the things that could be quite usable and actually quite valuable is that kind of communications, you know, GMRS, which stands for general mobile radio service and ham. Um, those are all, you know, going to be quite vital if that situation comes out and people do protect their equipment from EMP. Um, Technically so will smart keys. Yes. True. God forbid we ever have to actually use it, but yeah, that's what, I mean, it definitely, I know it's silly to bring up the video game, but, it's definitely a crazy putting, thought to even are you putting the timestamp? Yep. To, <laughs> to bleep that out. Yep. Because um, <laughs> the fucking like when that EMP set off, I think I think it was like medium orbit in the in the game, and damn near you're just like you're in the capital. Russians are invading. You know you're yeah. trying to hold it hold down the fort. All all of a sudden you're seeing the Blackhawks come down. F-16s crashing into the That mission ground. was fucking dope. It was scary because, uh, the, like, obviously as a kid, you're like, oh, this is so cool. But then you're like, it could if someone could actually make an electric magnetic pulse this massive, you can, you'd, you'd be taking down satellites. You'd be taking down you can, everything. You that can uses. do things as well on the ground. You don't have to launch a nuke in space. Right. But it damn near set. It, no, yeah, 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 for sure. it destroyed a lot. Um, And a lot of quote-unquote preppers, doomsday preppers, do, you know, keep things like ham radios and stuff like that in Faraday cages and have them grounded and protected for that possibility, you know? Because if an EMP does go off, uh, the thing about it is, like, if you have... So let's take a repeater situation here. Uh, when I mean repeater, so we have, like, if you look at the radio service, right, because the FCC kind of divvy up divvies up a bunch of radio frequencies for use by not only military, but also civilians, right? And me being a civilian now, ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha. I mean, I was GMRS certified even while I was in. I had a little antenna on top of my car and a radio inside my car <laughs> to do this shit. Um, <laughs> but if we look at a repeater, it's, this, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It receives a signal and then broadcasts it over a larger range. Right, so I can touch Tiger Mountain, which is a repeater northeast of here, about twenty-five miles, thirty miles, because it's on a mountain. Obviously, I have an advantage to reach it. But then that broadcasts out to a massive area. I can touch Seattle. I can touch Bonnie Lake. 
I can touch a huge portion of, you know, eastern of the Puget Sound, which is great. And ways to defend against this, if you have a EMP, the thing about EMPs is they're broad spectrum. So they're going to affect a massive portion of the spectrum, right? So they're going to they're going to affect microwaves, radio waves, some portion of UV, infrared, and all those things that rely on communications with those frequencies are going to be affected. And the issue with EMPs as well is that there's going to be portions of that that EMP that have wavelengths which are the perfect size to absolutely fry circuit boards in a large majority of, mechan- of, of electronics. So like your phones, done, right? Radios, if they're not protected, done. And so you have different ways of protecting them. Obviously, Faraday cages, which is like a quote-unquote you know, RF or EMF net that can capture this and transmit it to ground. Basically, a Faraday cage is a fancy antenna. Right, but I mean, Isaac was stating that the Faraday cages could be burned through? Um, the issue is coming with, because EMPs are such a broad spectrum, uh, prime example, if we look at a microwave oven, okay, we look at a microwave oven, and you notice how there's like this mesh on the door? Yep. These weird circles, mm-hmm. right? If you look at a microwave oven, and you look at the frequency that they use, you can then calculate through a formula the wavelength of that frequency, right? If you've been attending my classes, you'll know this. <laughs> I do remember you bringing it up. Yeah, it, it's important, which is a lot of design stuff that comes into effect. Yeah. But the wavelength that a typical microwave oven uses is about six inches to a foot. Yeah. Depends. Um, now... What that means is, if you ever thought about it just for a moment, is we have, we can go ahead and blast our food in a microwave oven with 1.5 kilowatts of energy, right? And make a bag of popcorn. And yet we can look inside this microwave and be completely fine. That mesh that's in front of the door is smaller those openings are smaller than the wavelength of the radiation that is being used to cook your food there's a reason why uh the waveguides on satellite communications terminals are the size that they are uh-huh. and you can tell what frequency it is by looking at the waveguide yeah because they're designed for like the optimal size of that and so that wave. in yeah. this situation the and it's a, a matter of proportion so the microwave oven those holes can be it's about actually- two to three inches wide and they would still protect you from the radiation. The wavelength for a microwave, or like a microwave oven, is somewhere around six inches. It's actually a very similar frequency to... By the way, folks, he just popped in from grabbing sourdough and probably using the restroom, so I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for validating me. It's, it's, yeah, I just came back from the restroom. But for those who are just I'm mixing tun- whiskey and in. coffee, so, you know. <laughs> so the, Dangerous so mixture. You, you, I know wave guys, they convert... No, no, Wave no, guys no, don't no do anything. It's just no a pipe for the radio. Yeah, yeah, but don't it convert? Don't it get no. converted nope. into L band? Nope. Uh, nope, 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 nope. So there is a piece of equipment that does that. Okay. Yeah. Separate piece of equipment. There's a whole circuit that takes the energy, and then takes the or the information basically, and then slows it down to L band speeds. Uh, in 
base uh anyway bluetooth and wi-fi are like the same frequency they're like 2.4 and they have just 2.4 gigahertz and they have a bunch of different channels Mm -hmm. so but effectively with that microwave we're able to see into that microwave oven because we obviously see in the visible spectrum which is significantly smaller of a wavelength than that of microwaves Like, like so much Nan- uh, nanometers is what visible spectrum is measured on uh, compared to inches, centimeters, etc. Um, and so the issue with EMPs is that there's such broad spectrum that you need to be able to defend against that massive spectrum that they're going to be unleashing on you. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we have you know, th- there's so many things that you can do. You have like aluminum foil. At the same time, you probably don't care about things that are smaller in uh, wavelength than your antenna size. Yeah, so like if we're talking about the the repeater example for GMRS that I was talking about is that almost certainly an EMP would be the prime wavelength to enter a repeater antenna, fry the radio, and make it obsolete, right? So in defending against EMPs, you would need to have a backup radio. You would need to have some sort of surge protector where if at a certain uh, voltage or relative voltage Faraday it pops, cage. you have a Faraday cage around important electronics. And so the only radiation that's entering your radio shack, quote unquote, is that's what's getting is, entered by the antenna. This is shit that the military has been doing since like the 60s. And one of the reasons why grounding is so important and why there's a specific manual on how to ground things properly so that high frequency or extremely high frequency waves that can be generated by things like lightning bolts or nuclear explosions don't have too much resistance trying to get to your grounding rod yeah and why you're not supposed to actually wrap your grounding rod around all of or this, wrap your grounding the wire around all the of it is rod. important they just don't tell you why so why don't you why don't we just uh have equipment that is mostly analog so that way we can come we something. cannot get into that well when you say analog equipment's mostly analog the issue with an emp is that uh, do you know how uh, I already electricity have to, is I made? I already have to bleep out a certain piece of equipment. <laughs> We're talking about the... Yeah. Yeah. But you can talk about spread spectrum. Yeah, you're fine, because all that shit's available in general. on the internet. Oh, yeah. that's what you had to censor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you noticed that he was running to, yeah. really yeah. to time stop as soon as you said that. Don't, <laughs> don't talk about things that are secret, but spread spectrum yeah. gets you through EMPs because it doesn't matter how much noise there yeah. is. And that's... That's, the, that's how cell phones work, too, technically. The code division multiple access and spread spectrum multiple access are kind of similar. But basically, those two things are jam-resistant, and that's why we can have cell phones in the same room that aren't stepping on each other's transmissions. Yep. Not uh, to mention there's like 100-some-odd channels in the 2.4 gigahertz band So that they, the FCC, quote-unquote, has allotted to us. So... When we get into defending against EMPs, what you have to remember is that the way that electricity is made is by a magnetic field moving across a wire. And so that means that every piece of metal that you have on you or in your equipment is now an antenna, which is converting the energy from a nuclear bomb in the electromagnetic spectrum into electricity inside your equipment. Which very well can be... So that's, higher voltage than so your system was ever designed to handle. So you're saying analog could just be obsolete anyway. So when you say analog, analog versus digital, what you, when what you, you say, say analog, analog equipment, right? 
what you're talking about is things that use sums of voltages to get data, right? And like nothing, so nothing is DC, it's all AC, is what you're thinking. And when you say, oh, why don't we use analog stuff? It's because you can still make EMP proof analog equipment. And now it's just worse at everything else because That's digital true. is the way to go. I know. Yeah. It's slow. And you can it, make it is much slower. So but you slow. can you can harden all of the equipment the same way. So you can make digital equipment that's more EMP proof. Yeah, because the saying. issue is you're going to have to have some kind you know, of transistor. If you want to break it down, is any piece of equipment, regardless of whether it's analog or digital, can be protected by from EMP. In that example I gave you with the microwaves, mm-hmm. right? The microwave yeah. and that screen. You know what the usual, like if I were to protect my radios, I have like fucking five radios up and there. And hypothetically, if you had an EMP strong enough, it will just melt your Faraday cage. Because if you, if you, you there'd be such the vol- a massive The energy has voltage. to go somewhere and it will become heat. Yeah. You want to have it beefy. You don't want to have it pussy, right? <laughs> you want to have a beefy <laughs> Faraday cage to handle high amperage because you're going to be passing a lot of current very quickly. The standard prepper basic Faraday cage is aluminum foil. Why? It because be it doesn't have really... any perforations. You have to make sure that you keep your aluminum foil pristine. No holes. Connect all of your aluminum foil in a steel box and have that steel box grounded. Not only that, don't let your radios touch the fucking so steel box. When I was have doing foam panels protecting your radios. When I was doing some, uh, we'll call it search and rescue stuff, but it's basically radio directional finding for emergency beacons, which most of the time is just civil, people. Civil air patrol. Yeah, so people land too hard with their general aviation aircraft, and that will set off your emergency beacon, which the Air Force then detects and dispatches a volunteer organization to go find. And the way that you deal with it initially, until you can get the guy to come and remove his beacon or black box and disable it, is by putting, you they call it tenting, you just take aluminum foil, you make a cone or some kind of shape that'll cover the antenna for yep. the emergency beacon, yep. and you put it on top. Yep, And the issue that some people run into is they don't make it big enough so it sits on top of the antenna instead of covering like the antenna without touching it. Yeah, And then all of a sudden it's amplified and the Air Force gets <laughs> angry. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's so many things online about how preppers are defending from EMP. And here's a question, though. Not even just this preppers. Is, this but is it, what you have to think, though. It is a legitimate concern for ham, oper- yeah. or ham radio operators. Totally. Because you still want to be, and you can call it prepping, you still want to be able to operate a ham radio if there's a nuclear explosion. And that's why I said that ham operators and GMRS and all those people that's... who are in the radio sphere are well aware of this and they are interested in defending their equipment. Because if I left those ham radios just out and about, they'd be useless in the event of EMP, which defeats the entire purpose. Right. Yeah, most military equipment, though, should still be. It's designed to be hardened against EMP. Um, it's not gonna, nothing is perfectly. Yeah capable of defending you might against have it to replace a couple because parts, like i said but... enough enough energy will just melt your faraday cage uh though there becomes a point where depending on the size of the nuke you are just now going to be close enough where the thermal energy is going to melt your faraday <laughs> cage anyway then, um, then, then now tested. everything's melted around yeah. you yeah now you're you're now you're melted so you can't you're now a radio. shadow on concrete i hope you had a funny pose <laughs> How funny yeah the um EMPs are very My interesting, and there's uh, okay. it's kind of hilarious if you think about it. Back to 1962, when the United States tested their nuclear weapons in space, um, and we were like, oh, they wow. Knocked out the electricity on that the was, entire uh, state of Hawaii. That was a lot more problematic than we thought. Hmm. Really cool video, though. And then a year later, we were like, hey, we should, with Russia, Soviet Russia, we were just like, we should not. And like, yeah, probably. 
It's basically how it went. I'm really mad that we didn't do a nuclear test on the on the moon, though. That'd be interesting. We should have done that. And now that the nuclear space treaty is essentially defunct, inside science news, inside why would it not news, be good? I don't know. Like I feel like there's. You know what's do, really let's cool? Do it on the far side. Let's do it. On you the know what's really side. cool? Going to the moon. You know what's even cooler than that? Explosions on the moon. Yeah, but wouldn't there be consequences? So I watched. Like what? Yeah, I, I mean, that think area of a consequence. would probably be a little bit nasty, but who cares? It doesn't matter. It's the moon. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You can just not land there. Don't land there. It's fine. And side news, this is mostly jest. I care about them in a little bit. Uh, in side the environment news on the moon is uh, already fucked because in, you have rocks falling <laughs> out of the sky. In side news, uh, just random science news, I watched a live stream two days ago or a day ago. SpaceX launched the first private um, lunar lander. Um, so about in seven, six days now, it should actually touch down on the night side of you the moon. What, you know what I love about SpaceX? Every time they have a launch, there's retards on the internet who see it, and then they're like, that's a UFO. Because yeah. they don't understand what rockets look like. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> when you it's say hilarious. a private lunar lander, is it? There's like, a privately com- funded a rover. Privately funded co- uh, company. Rover. So like, oh, so it's a rover. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, no, it's a lander. It's not a rover. You call it's it a lander. Uh, all right. So if it doesn't move around, you say lander. There's no people on it. Okay. So, so it's a, probe. It's a lander. It's, it's a probe. going to land where it lands, and that's it. A okay. rover. We'll call it. We'll call land, it a probe. But it's going on the dark side of the moon. We'll call it. We'll call it a lunar probe. So why is this such a, I guess, an advancement in this? This is. One, it would so, be the first time that America has effectively landed on the moon since its Apollo 13 missions. Hmm. The thing about the uh, fact that the government for, had some odd, like, what, 40, billions, 50 years? Had billions of dollars of money to do things, right? And they're like, let's make the James Webb Space Telescope. <laughs> and sure, I mean, that, that was fine. But so we'll say they have, the government has billions of dollars to do things. But we want to privatize space. So it's important Which to is privatize great. space. Great. Great, let's to, do it. For them to be able to do space things like land a probe on the moon. So this is like, the thing is, it's only important because it's the first. It's privately funded. It's not a government organization doing this. There is a company paying money to get it up there, and they've paid the money to develop it, and they've paid the money to build it, and it is like, it's private property, right? It's not government property. Is That's why the, it's important. Is this the first time a lunar lander has been on the dark side of the moon? No. No. Uh, okay. So, the, or at least I don't think so. The, so. I know the Russians. Here's information. The Russians famously Elon used Musk. captured CIA film to be I able mean, to take pictures Russia, on the dark side of the moon. Fucking Russia also went on Venus. It took them like three <laughs> tries. <laughs> I don't. 
did they land on Venus? I know we landed on Venus. We did not. Russia is the only nation to have landed on Venus and actually capture pictures from it. Yeah, how long did that last before it got Like two fried? hours. Uh, the, yeah, The atmosphere's while. made out of fucking Drano, dude. So they took yeah. a... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just so, wondering how long it took. You know, so that it thing took them multiple it. tries. There was multiple iterations of the landing craft, and they yeah, got it, and it lasted enough to capture pictures and transmit the data back to Earth. Um, yeah, but anyway, uh, Walker's looking into it. Uh, Elon Musk, SpaceX has launched a privately I was owned actually moon lander. Someone, but I can Google it if you want, please. Uh, which could set a historic precedent for the United States, as Space.com reports, the Odysseus lander which is owned and operated by the startup Intuitive Machines, was launched atop one of SpaceX's Falcon 9 rockets in the wee hours of the morning. The United States did land on Venus. No shit. Yeah. With what mission? What year? Let me open the article. Uh, The Pioneer mission. Oh, shit. Yeah. The Soviets also were the first people to do it, but definitely we also did. 1978 is when the United States did. Venus just kind of sucks because, like I said, and I mean this very literally, the atmosphere is made out of Drano. It's terrible. It's literally the worst. Sulfuric acid, just, just how it is. Venus exists to just be there. <laughs> um, By the way, PSA, if you think you might need a plumber, don't use Drano. They'll charge you extra if you've used it. Yeah. Um, if they know that you've used Drano, just, they'll charge uh, you extra. And if they don't know, then they'll charge you even more once someone burns their hands on sulfuric acid. <laughs> yeah. Hey, questions about science? Let's go. Come on. We have Walker and Brandon, me, third person. Are we talking about, we have show. questions about science? Yeah. If anybody has it, you go. What, a question about science? Yeah, let's go. Uh, Angie and Marcus did it. It was great. Is this, is, are we going back to the Quantum Consumer Podcast? <laughs> doing, I, it, this is I, a science actually, podcast now. I mean, I'm just... Actually, I, I'm just some guy. I just love the discussion like, about space exploration. I don't really give a fuck about the mechanics or anything like that, but space exploration in general. I was because, say, if you do give a fuck about the mechanics, there's amazing games on Steam. Uh, Kerbal, that, uh, get, Kerbal Space so Program. Not even just Kerbal Space Program, but if you want something that's uh, really interesting, actually, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Children of a Dead Earth? where it gets into, like, space warfare in a very kind of realistic way. Not, like, hypothetically the most realistic, but yeah. a very realistic way um, uh, to do combat in space. But Super I'm more interesting. So talking about the concept, that privatized lunar lander going to the dark side of the moon, how long is it going to be there, and what are they looking for? What are they looking to research? What are they trying if, to record? If lander is landing without people, it's going to be there for indefinitely. So think indefinitely? about indefinitely. Yeah. So um, they're gonna they're gonna just even record if, findings and so video footage. mineral studies. They could have a mass spectrometer. They could have, uh, like general telemetry. Uh, on the dark side of the moon, it's not always actually dark. What that means is it's because it's tidally locked to us. It's a side of the moon that's facing away from us. Correct. So eventually you might want to land things there that can, uh, let's say, do radio telescope stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Because it's blocked off from uh, radio transmissions from Earth, so you can actually see well, more of a radio you, spectrum so you're from saying space. that it's dark side of the moon, but it's not terribly dark, right? Because I would imagine what they I mean would also need a, to invest in sometimes... lunar day lasts about 14 days. Okay. What I mean is sometimes the sun shines there. No. What the dark side... 28 days. With it, a lunar month, yeah, so 29, something like that. Uh, what that means, though, is 
the dark side of the moon, when they say that, it's the side of the moon that never faces us. Right. Because yeah. it's tidally locked. Now, it's yeah. not completely stable, so, like, it moves around a little bit, but there is a side of the moon that is always faced to the Earth, and on the other side of that, what we call the dark side of the moon. Doesn't mean that sunlight doesn't go there. Like, legitimately, it sometimes is bright there, but it's hard to communicate there. You need, like, a relay satellite or something like that. So, just a little... Tangent here. Intuitive machines, the lander that's going there, its purpose is to carry four NASA cameras to study how the engines interact with the lunar surface. Um, so they're basically looking at how the engine plumes of the lander. They probably didn't need to interact. land on the dark side. That's probably a little bit of extra science there, it's like, or an extra pr- proof of concept to if be able to land on the dark side. I would side. imagine it would be more or less mass spectrometry, so you're not getting interference from the sun which is why they're probably landing on the dark side. It could be mass spectrometry, um, but like I said, it could literally just be like a proof of concept, like we can land on the dark side of the moon. I just like the concept of space exploration, and I feel like at the end of the day, landing on the dark side of the moon, because I've never heard of an actual lander or a rover getting to the dark side of the moon, and, cause, and obviously you say it's I guess not you weren't dark. on the podcast. We, I mentioned that Japan had successfully launched and landed a a uh lander on the moon i just think recently it's really cool because i i want to get to the point where we actually start finding certain signs of life or possible existences of other life forms and i think i remember the You're very likely not going to find that in our solar system right but i remember unless that it's on europa special day there that is going to be special day when they if, found if we signs find of life on if moon. we find signs of life on mars that will have so interesting scientific implications we've never as found, to the origin story of life on Earth. So we've never found signs of life on Mars, and we think that Mars was at one point very hospitable to life, which means that maybe we should find things like fossils. And the other thing is we have a very surface-level excavation, if, and if there's not literally, like, you can't really fossilize bacteria. So, like, can. once back, well... Those are what they would be looking for. I mean, yeah. the moon has It's difficult had to find because by no. virtue of you the, drilling... The bacteria that lived on the moon. It's, no. it's difficult because by virtue of drilling into the surface, you would be destroying, destroying the sample. So, so what if that meteor, meteorite that was found, I believe it was Antarctica or somewhere... And wow, it, it was found time. on Earth in a place where things live? So we find... No, I mean, it, so it was you, a meteorite. There's, an, there's mm-hmm. an entire field... Which landed on of, Earth where there's life. So there's life... In Antarctica, there's a lot of life in Antarctica. There was a lot of life uh, when it wasn't a frozen hellhole as well, and there's technically it's too cold for a lot of germs to survive, but just because you find something on Earth with life on it and it came from outer space well, doesn't mean that we found microbes life came that from actually space. can sustain life on, in Antarctica. But that's not clear. What your point is, is that there's an entire field of astrophysics called astrobiology where we identify, which oh, is, wow, this has amino acids. That's cool. Which is just a series of compounds and molecules that... They all have to be, like, of a certain... Which is, you know, obviously carbon-based. But we're like, oh, that's neat. And that's quite frequent, which is, which is what pauses the question. It's like, okay, well, maybe this is where you get the comet, quote-unquote, comet seeding theory, is where, like, life on Earth was seeded... I think you need, like, a certain by type a comet. of amino acid... And there's, you need like a bunch of them in the right place. There's there's a whole lot, but <laughs> like the the actual the, mathematical chances of life starting on Earth were extremely low. Yeah, um, if we look at 
Mars, for example, if we look at the terrain features, which is what uh, I guess you can say astrogeologists look at, so we look at the terrain features the of dry Mars. We yep. see riverbeds, Glacier estuaries. Cap. We see well, it's very, very likely that there was liquid water on Mars several million or billion years ago, and it's very likely that there was the very similar conditions to Earth, which is where we're like, oh, well, maybe there was life. But what we don't see is seashells in the, the rocks well, and then the mountains and stuff like that that you would expect if there was life. And what we were looking for as is life that we micro, would expect, which microbiology. is microbiology. Yeah. So even if they didn't have time to evolve into like, you know, the Cambrian explosion, all kinds of weird horseshoe crabs with fucking <laughs> everything weird wants to evolve into crabs. <laughs> everything wants to evolve fish with legs. So the thing is, it's interesting because we have, um, Exactly right. That's why we're looking and focusing heavily on microbes. And the other thing is, even if we find microbes on Mars, how do we know that it didn't come from the lander? This right. is the most critical part, and, and that's it why... is important to be sort of cautious of this, and that's why there is very strict sterilization protocols uh, with all of those things. And, and sanitizer mention, only kills 99.99% of if the germs, If what we're though. looking like, if what we're looking for is, quote-unquote, microbe fossilization, uh, it is arguable to say that whether or not the microbes were on the lander, there would not be anywhere near enough time for them to be it's fossilized. Just, those fossils are also so small that I wonder, like, just wind erosion. Well, we would also, would the whole it. idea of the next uh, Mars mission is to actually return a sample because we couldn't do nearly the study that we want to do on the samples with the lander itself or the rover. It's limited in power and scope, I guess. So we would have to return those samples. So, so a future a... mission would have to go there and collect the samples. But it's also back. partially just mineral prospecting. What is because stopping us from sending a lander or a rover or some form of unmanned device on research missions to Europe or China? In the mic. In the mic. Say that again. Do it again. Uh, sending research... Uh, having research missions to Europa or Titan. So you know are, how there's pictures are... of Jupiter? Mm -hmm. That's because we sent probes to Jupiter. Right. And the only difference between sending a probe to Jupiter and sending a lander to Europa, because that's a Jovian, that's in the Jovian system, that's a moon of Jupiter, Co mm -hmm. is the... Cassini did it. Voyager did it. Uh, as far as pictures it's are concerned. just the fun We thing. haven't landed. Like, the technology is there. It's just yeeting a rock into space at the right trajectory. There are missions planned, and it just needs funding. It needs funding, but we want to send. Uh, there's many different moons of Jupiter that are uh, there. There Ganymede, would be an issue Europa, if you want to get to Io, which to the theoretically liquid. have liquid oceans underneath the kilometers of ice. Yeah, there there'd be an issue hypothetically with getting to the actual liquid of Europa. There's also technical or engineering issues when it comes to the fact that, like what we have as Van Allen radiation belts. Jupiter has, like, the same thing, but, like, way more deadly to electronics and people. So to get to Europa, you are going to pass through radiation belts. It wouldn't be and as bad not, because Jupiter is, is farther, but they are there, something that you still have to be aware High radiation of. bands. And when we first discovered the radiation belts, we were like, oh, my God, we can't possibly send somebody to the moon. This was a concern in the Apollo missions. We were like, we can't possibly send to the moon because they would just die from radiation, but... It really was just problematic to electronics. Well, we it's problematic to electronics and people. It's just that if you go 
depending on what orbit you if take. If you set up an orbit in the Van Allen belt, you're kind of dumb. Yeah. But <laughs> the, the thing is, you can't really avoid it very well in Jupiter, so it's bad long-term for electronics. We do have... There are missions you don't want to be there thought for a long time. ...to go to Europa, Ganymede, Io, to do such a thing. Uh, and actually, if we look, actually, I think this and might honestly, happen. Something very achievable see, in our lifetime that's picture? very cool is shit going to Europa. Do you see this picture? Uh-huh. This is a the picture system. from my telescope right there oh. of the Galilean moons. You would really, really like my grandpa because he built a... Uh, I think it's got probably like three times the diameter of this thing. He oh, built nice. his own telescope. Nice. And you can get so, so clear... Uh, pictures out of that thing of the Jovian system. I would get much like, clearer pictures see... if I wasn't taking a picture from my phone. Well, you can see you can see <laughs> the banding very clear. You if can I did see my the great if I did my spot, DSLR setup on that, it would be beautiful. The great red yeah. spot's insane. And this is honestly something I wonder about, yeah. like with my my father in law being a flat earther, just like getting a telescope and just taking it outside because he lives in the middle of nowhere in Arkansas where oh. there's no light pollution. And uh, I wish. Just like going outside. Now my wife gets mad every time I try to bring this up in the presence of him. But like, just like, oh, you believe in the flat Earth? Let's go outside with the telescope. I have uh, look at things. Orion is up this time of year. I'm waiting for the skies to clear a little bit more so I can get some good images of nebula of Orion's nebula. On the off chance Robert is listening to this, no hard feelings. I just <laughs> we're dedicating a fucking series to you. I, I just want to show you <laughs> cool things with a telescope. Don't take it the hard way. I mean, I never seen for a telescope. Or... Uh yeah, I mean, you <sighs> would love it. This is a bad place for it, but you would. Yeah. Depending so, on what was the weather outside right now. The other cool things is like taking pictures of spacecraft, dude. Like you got a good telescope, yeah, you can take pictures cloudy. of the ISS pretty well. Like this telescope that he's got here is a little probably small for it. I don't know how if much you detail look, you can get, if but you, you probably get like the, the general shape of it. No, yeah. the picture does not do what you can see with that telescope justice. Um, get a better camera. You can see the color and banding of Jupiter with that. You can also see the rings of Saturn with that. Um, it's just a matter of uh, just doing it. And it's just a matter of... My grandpa of, has uh, a friend, because he's in the astronomy hobby, who has, like, automatic tracking on a big telescope <sighs> setup where he's got, like, pictures of it where you can see little My dots of light God. floating next to it, which he says are astronauts. That's amazing. I, I Dude, I, I would love uh, to just absolutely be able to dump $5,000 into a telescope setup and... Auto tracking and all that shit, and find just become the part owner of a um, X-ray machine repair company, so that when you get a bonus every year, you can put that into telescopes. Yeah, I'll just dedicate my uh, dividend shares. Uh, that's to, what um, that's what my grandpa did. He's <laughs> my a, telescope. Fund. He's an electric uh, an electric engineer, and then he became part owner of a company that goes into hospitals and fixes their X-ray machines. Yeah. So he just made a lot of money. Good, good gig. Is he retired yeah. now? Yeah, he's yeah. been retired for oh. a while. Yeah, but money. Yeah, he's he got lucky because he's a boomer, of course, and he got you know the economic uh, advantage uh, advantage there. <laughs> Not that he didn't work for it. Yeah, but no, for sure. I mean, so he he joined the navy. Topic. He joined the navy during Vietnam. Got a lot of training that which he was able to use to make a living, and then go to electronic or go to college to become an electric engineer, and then use that to become part of this company, and then become a part owner of it, and then. So he definitely, you know, uh, lived in the era where it was more likely that you could pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but he right. also, like, he worked for what he has, mm -hmm. and now he, he got very successful, and now he's retired, but... Cap, Beautiful. I call Cap, he has white privilege. 
one of my coworkers is actually working on setting up a observatory at home in his backyard with the actual like dome shutter thing, rotating dome thing with his like, you know, uh, it's a great idea. I hope you should I, uh, I, go up on the Mount Rainier. Freeze your ass off, look through the telescope. Yeah. That's like an old astronomer well, rite of passage is freezing your ass off on the top of a mountain to look through yeah, a telescope. Yeah. What people don't know is that you actually need to let your telescope come to ambient temperature. Mm. So if I wanted to use that telescope tonight, I, wa- I would need to set it out there for at least an hour. So that way all the mirrors can get to ambient temperature. Otherwise, you get the terrible well, atmosphere. Well, if there's any kind of condensation. Effects. The other thing is, we'd say ambient temperature there's a lot of things wrong with doing things at sea level or close to it in yeah. terms of what, astronomy. Like 300 fucking meters? Like, might as well be on a fucking boat. <sighs> Though it'd be better to be on a boat in the middle of the ocean because you don't uh, have light we pollution. We are going to do trivia today, so you guys better buckle up. Nice oh, surprise. Right now? <laughs> in a moment. What kind uh, of trivia? We'll intermission, and then we'll go and dive into trivia. Okay. And, well, at any rate, uh, thank you guys so much. Let's do a proper outro. Thank you all so much for joining this us. This was on the whole podcast magazine whole show. Podcast magazine. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us, and as always, have a good one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 